Hey, podcast community, it's Eric, and I've got something exciting for all you online entrepreneurs out there. If you're looking to take your e-commerce store to the next level, you need to check out Aurora Repricer. With Aura, you can effortlessly reprice your Amazon inventory automatically. Ready to elevate your Amazon business? Head over to milwaukeemafia.com slash Aura, that's A-U-R-A, to get started today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to an, uh, another episode of the Milwaukee Mafia podcast. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And that was a little rocky of an intro, but and that was try too, so well, really rocky, I guess. Yeah. But what are you what are we talking about today, Gavin? All right. So uh so for regular listeners, you know that I'm kind of trying to stick to a timeline. Uh, I've been taking the notes going forward, and we are now, I am pleased to say, we are coming out of 1962. I think the next one will be the last 1962. Wow. And, and of course, you know, the timeline is loose. Like, this has 1962, but it goes up to 65. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's not like we've been firmly stuck in 62 this whole time. But we are moving forward. So yeah, so for people who are like, man, this is a slow <laughs> moving time. <laughs> it is, uh, but you know, we want to get the maximum amount of stories out of this because the whole Milwaukee Mafia story really kind of dissolves around 1980 or the first few years of the 1980s. So the 60s and 70s are like our years. We're going to be there for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If if we ever reach a point where Eric says, uh, "Okay, we got to wrap up this podcast. I give you ten episodes. Well, then I'll then I'll hit like the highlights. But as long as this is not have an end in sight, we're gonna just keep going. We're gonna just keep going. So, all right. All right. So, who are we talking about today? Eric? So today, the focus is gonna be on a man named Peter Shortino. Um, but in general, I'm also gonna cover some extortion attempts or alleged." extortion attempts in the early 1960s august 23rd 1962 an informant said that payoffs were being collected from various nightclubs for the purpose of supporting four elder mobsters in milwaukee including sam ferreira uh, ferreira was a former mob boss in milwaukee and he um, was basically retired and now just kind of ran a liquor store some money may also have been sent to kansas city who had helped Milwaukee out in the past. The informant said that this time around, Frank Belstri was giving Louis Fazio a pass on the collection, so Louis didn't have to pay this time. Whether any of this is true, don't know. That's the word on the street. Meaning that Louis, because Louis had bars, and they were collecting Louis, The Fazio family had a whole string of bars and restaurants. Louis Fazio, it's fuzzy because he had a background of being in and out of prison, he probably didn't have a liquor license. I highly doubt he was able to get a liquor license, but he still worked for his family's restaurants. At some point in October 1962, Joe Guerrera and Steve DeSelvo allegedly, quote, put the bite on the Magestro brothers who were trash dealers. Whether this happened, I don't know. A rumor going around that they're trying to push in on the trash dealers. The Milwaukee FBI received an anonymous typewritten letter 
on October 22, 1962. It said, I want you to know that Frank Bellistry of Gallagher's and his friend Harry and two other men from Kansas City have been demanding 30% protection money from people in business. I hear they already asked Mike Amato of Amato and Guadalabene Funeral Parlor. On October 25, 1962, Peter Shortino's Bakery, um, which was on East Brady Street, and in fact still is on East Brady Street, wow, was the target of a bomb attack. The explosion tore a small hole through the rear wall of the bakery around 11.50 p.m., and firefighters were called to the scene. A neighboring apartment also had its windows blown out on three different floors, and garbage cans were damaged. Charles Buran, age 13, who lived in the apartment, said the bomb shook the whole house. Detective Inspector Harold Breyer did not immediately know what type of explosives were used and had to call in a chemical expert. Police did not know what the motive was and stressed that Peter Shortino, who lived upstairs and was watching television at the time, had no history of trouble. The explosion may have been a warning, as Breyer pointed out that the culprit could have put the explosive compound in a different place and caused a lot more damage. So if they had wanted to blow up the whole bakery, they could have. And this is very much, we, we haven't really gotten into these stories, but this is pretty, very much this era of Milwaukee Mafia's MO. They liked car bombings, right? We're not really quite to the car bombing point yet, but yes. The, but the, by, car, but car there's a very a strong possibility that they're responsible for this because this seems to be something they had a thing with. <laughs> yes. So. When questioned by the FBI, Breyer said that Peter Shortino told him that he had no idea why the bakery was targeted and denied being any relation to a Joe Shortino of Milwaukee who once had a bakery in the Third Ward. Why they asked him that, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. But I, I, it just comes up, it's like, hey, you're, you're in a bakery, your name's Shortino, are you related to that other Shortino? Which, this is going to come back. Okay. <laughs> yeah. November 1st, 1962, John Holtzman, FBI agent, uh, interviewed Mike Amato, who was partner of Anthony Guadalabene in the local funeral home. Uh, just to be clear here, Anthony Guadalabene is the brother of Dr. Vito Guadalabene, which therefore makes him another grandson of the original Vito Guadalabene. So, just so you're clear of who that guy is. Amato said his wife was a cousin of Frank Balistri's wife, therefore making him a cousin by marriage, as well as a nephew by marriage of John Aliotto. And this is wrong. Like, I don't know if Amato misspoke or if the FBI agent like wrote the notes down wrong. Uh, his wife is not a relative, but Amato's mother is a relative. So I don't know where the miscommunication is there. Um, but either way, Amato is related to John Aliotto. Mm -hmm. This doesn't matter, but just to be clear that what what's in the record is not accurate. And it could just be that they just kind of viewed themselves as related because there is a connection there. It's just pretty far out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Amato said that he saw Balistrieri and Aliota once or twice a year, um, but stayed away from Gallagher's because it was undesirable. That's the uh, the restaurant and nightclub that Balistrieri runs. Yep. He said the last time he was there was for a testimony for Dr. Vito Guadalabene, the brother of his business partner. Um, 
as listeners will recall, the testimony for Dr. Vito Guadalabene also happened to be the same night that they honored Frank Balistri as the new mob boss. Mm-hmm. As far as Amato knew, the party was a sincere celebration of the doctor. Holtzman showed Amato the anonymous note that I had mentioned before about uh, Frank Balistrieri and his friend Harry shaking these people down. After reading it, Amato responded, Who the hell is Harry? (laughs) (laughs) Which, to be fair... It's a great question. ...was the same question I had. (laughs) Because I don't know. You don't know any Harrys in the Mafia or what? Um, it's like, uh, they exist, but I don't know who that's referring to. Amato said he was not threatened or even had hints of a threat, and he would report it if he did. Amato said he was personally disapproving of the criminal activities of Balistri and his friends because the whole Italian community suffers. Amato further said he feels so strongly about this that he hopes his three daughters marry non-Italians to get away from all this nonsense. Uh, for listeners at home, his three daughters each married non-Italians. <laughs> nice. Whether that was because of him or not, I don't know, but they, <laughs> they did marry outside of the Italian community. Finally, Amato said he spends his free time at home and tries to avoid the Italian community. <laughs> This is impossible because his business caters to that very group, but he keeps his mingling professional. I don't know if this is true or if this is him just like overly protesting, but but I don't have any record of him being a bad guy, so I'm going to take it at face value. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's unfortunate for him if he doesn't like this group because... The Amato and Guadalabene funeral home is the funeral home every Italian family uses. <laughs> so um, whether he likes it or not, he's going to see these people all, all the, time. the time. He really went into the wrong business if he was trying to in- avoid the Italian community. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Milwaukee police captain John Lavin turned over a report written by Walter Heller to the FBI. The report said that businesses suspected of paying insurance, quote-unquote insurance, were the Holiday House, Sardino's, the Riviera, and Fazio's. The Scafidi Brothers Bakery on East Brady Street was also said to have recently been shot up by some men, and the bakery did not report the incident to police, but instead decided to go out of business. Is that the same bakery as no. that had? Okay. No, and that's the, that's the weird thing. Is like I wondered if that report was, if they were mixing two things up, because I don't know anything about this place getting shot up i wonder if they're like confusing the bakery name and referring to the bombing i don't know so you can't even find anything like in the news about this bakery getting shot up right but it was in a what a police report or or was it in this is a a police report yeah weird another informant said the pnp distributing company um, which was in the jukebox business was operated by Robert Puccio and Joseph Pellegrino, and they were making extortion payments to Frank Balistrieri. Whether that's true, I don't know. But there's always this constant stream of rumors about people paying paying protection money. Agents Richard Thompson and Alexander Legrand interviewed Peter Shortino, the baker, on October 24, 1963, in relation to rumors that he was paying Balistrieri $20 to $30 per week 
in order to operate. He said he knew Steve DeSalvo, who occasionally would stop by the bakery, but denied knowing Frank Stallone. He said he had never paid these men or any other men any money, and they did not know who had detonated a small bomb near his house. That same day, the agents also interviewed Frank DiMicelli, the owner of the Rafters Steakhouse, who also denied knowledge of any rumors of him paying people off. That one's a little more suspicious, because the mob guys would meet at the Rafters Steakhouse, and later DiMicelli would be investigated for running prostitution out of his business. So he's not quite as clean, but... But I, you know, I don't know. I don't know that it means he was getting shaken down. Now we're going to kind of pivot away from the extortion and just focus on Peter Shortino. Tensions in the Milwaukee Mafia family were up a little bit in June 1964 when Frank Balestri found out that another Peter Shortino had come to Milwaukee from Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Short, this Shortino was an alleged member of the Joe Bonanno crime family and had spoken with John Aliotto, uh, and Frank Bestry was not informed about him being in town. According to Mafia protocol, Bestry should have been informed that a member of another Mafia family was in town. Remind me, the Joe Bonanno crime family, what is that? Is that Chicago? That is New York. New York. Uh, and okay. Joe Bonanno is one of the biggest mob guys in in american history like that's terrible that top of the top you know for all those people out there that are really into the mob and they're like what the hell is this guy doing on no. this podcast not knowing who joe bonanno is no it's a I, good question because if you don't know people don't know <laughs> yeah uh, i know i recognize the name i just couldn't put where it you know yeah so so joe bonanno was one of the big guys in new york and he was the guy who would get the most headlines, the most newspaper coverage. The story, exactly how this plays out is debatable. But basically, there's rumors that he was trying to take over other mafia families in New York. And he basically went into self-exile down to like Phoenix, Arizona. And rather than them assassinating him, they just kind of said, stay out of New York. <laughs> so he instead has like this separate... He's, his crime family's still operating in New York, but he's got this separate little small mob group in Arizona. Okay, and that that's he, where this guy came from. That's where this guy came from, yeah. Okay. Here's where it gets weird. The Peter Shortino of Tucson, Arizona, was both a cousin and a brother-in-law of the Peter Shortino of Milwaukee. Also, yes. he operated a bakery. <laughs> So, so they're cousins. They have the same grandfather. Mm -hmm. On top of this, the Peter Shortino of Milwaukee is married to the Peter Shortino of Tucson's sister. Wow. Which would mean that he's married to his own cousin. Wow. So it's weird. <laughs> but now, it, it, isn't that somewhat normal in italian it's somewhat normal because they're very close and yeah. they end up marrying very closely to each they other they do i think i think like you know marrying your cousin cousin is kind of weird. weird but yeah it's not out of the ordinary but but there's 
generally their marriage, there's going to be like a shorter gap between them in re- relation, basically. Correct. Second, third cousins are not uncommon or anything like Correct. that. Correct. I don't know if we talked about that on here or on the Patreon, but yes, that's a, that's our fancy word called consanguinity. <laughs> and uh, yes, there's been studies that in Italy, generally husbands and wives are closer related, related. than they are in other countries. countries. I don't know why. It's some kind of cultural thing, but... While in Milwaukee, the Tucson Shortino purchased a 1964 Buick Electra at Frescona Buick in Wauwatosa. Here's another fun part. The owner of Frescona Buick is a man named Frank Balistrieri. Which is not our Frank Balistrieri. Which is not. (laughs) He is a cousin of our Frank Balistrieri. So a cousin of our Peter Shortino bought a Buick from a cousin of our Frank Balistrieri. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You can imagine how much fun the, <laughs> when they're writing these reports trying to keep these things straight. straight. Yeah. yeah. A hidden microphone uh, caught a mafia meeting in June 18th, 1964, where one member of the group was uh, scolded for not functioning properly. Uh, Balistrieri was upset that this Peter Shortino had come from Tucson and was entertained without him being notified. So they caught him on a on a hidden microphone actually complaining about it. <laughs> but he's like, this guy comes around, you don't even tell me. <laughs> At a meeting on June 30th, 1964, the Peter Shortino of Tucson is still in town. Uh, so he's called to a mob meeting. Uh, Balistrieri tries to talk to him about the Bonanno family. But Shortino said that he was just a soldier in the Bonanno family and was not authorized to say anything without clearance from his boss, who would be Charles Battaglia. Balistrieri agreed. He goes, technically, yes, you're right. So I guess we won't have this conversation. conversation. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Milwaukee's Peter Shortino was interviewed by the FBI on March 19, 1965. They asked if he had family in Tucson. And Shortino explained, again, that the other Peter was his cousin and his brother-in-law. He said that the Tucson Peter was in Milwaukee in 1964 and was away to New York and Canada to visit relatives. The Milwaukee Peter said he didn't know if the Tucson Peter was in the mafia, but wouldn't be surprised if he was and knew that he had business dealings with Joe Bonanno. The Milwaukee Peter had met Bonanno but had not seen him in years. He explained that he had met him because his wife's family, which is also his cousin's (laughs) family, had grown up a block away from Bonanno in New York when they were kids. So they had just known him forever. The Milwaukee Peter said that after his bakery was bombed, he had told the Tucson Peter about it. There was a rumor that the Tucson Peter then told Joe Bonanno who in turn told Frank Balistrieri to leave the Milwaukee Peter alone. But the Milwaukee Peter never asked for this favor and did not know if it actually happened. This was just a rumor he had heard. He lastly said that if this wasn't confusing enough, he has two more cousins also named Peter Shortino, and they both live in Brooklyn. (laughs) So I'm going to try to piece this back together. So Yeah, run it back. So so Joe Bonanno 
There's a rumor that Joe Bonanno called Frank Balistrieri and said, leave alone the Milwaukee Peter Shortino. Yes. Which would really, Joe Bonanno has no reason to care about the Milwaukee one, right? He was probably talking about the Tucson one that was in Milwaukee. He has really no reason to do that, but he it doesn't mean he couldn't do it. But why would he? If... I guess if if the Tucson Peter Shortino asked that favor, he could do it. Technically, bosses are equal, and he shouldn't be able to do anything about it. But Joe Bonanno's kind of like you know he's a big guy, so and he could he could he could probably ask favors of smaller small families, fans. being like, "Hey, give this guy in Milwaukee a pass. He's he's close with one of my guys." You know, I don't know. I think if that happened, it's, it's so much behind the scenes that like we would never know how that played out. Because I'm going to go on record as saying I think the Milwaukee Peter Shortino is being honest. Mm-hmm. I think that he did not ask for that, and I think that he doesn't know um, what if happened. If it actually even happened. If it even happened. Really. And I think I think he's being a little... When he says he doesn't know if his cousin's in the mafia, I mean, he's kind of on the fence. He goes, I don't know, but I wouldn't doubt it. Mm-hmm. I think he probably knows. knows yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think he probably knows. And then, like, where he denies that he's being, like, asked to make payments, that's where I find that a little oh, questionable. Nice. Because if he's not being asked to make payments, then why was he bombed? Yeah. Like... You don't just get randomly bombed, bombed without, you know, being told why you're getting bombed. Mm-hmm. So that's weird to me. So I don't think he's like complete. I don't think he's lying, but I don't think he's completely telling everything. Either. Well, and, and don't you think that in most scenarios when somebody is pulled in by the cops and interviewed by the police, uh-huh. that's probably the, what they're doing. You yeah. know, they're, they're probably they're telling the truth tr- to an extent, but they're. I think in every situation, probably somebody leaves something out. Well, you know, I I will respond to that and say I think I think most people when they talk to the police are probably mostly honest, right? I think maybe a little less so in these sort of mafia situations because the Milwaukee Peter Shortino, like, dude's not an idiot, like he regardless of what he does or doesn't know, he's got to have this in the back of his mind that anything he says could potentially get back to Frank Bell. Right, exactly. And and so, you know, it's not like he doesn't want to tell law enforcement. I'm guessing that he's just got this where he's like, I'm going to tell what I have to tell and not say the rest. Because if he actually was getting threats and he reported those threats, it's then going to get back that he reported those threats. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm going to qualify your statement with saying, I think generally speaking, people are honest with the police. I think less so in the situation where they feel like doing that, it's going to get them in more right. trouble. So it be, being the situation that this is a mafia thing, yeah, you know, you have that extra variable where if I say something and it gets back to the mafia, I'm in a lot of trouble. So, yeah, it's going to force to hold you back, just like a, 
Like I think in a normal situation, there are certain things you just don't want to say about yourself to the police that you're going to hold back on saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So this is just adding a layer of that to it. Yeah, right. Okay. We're on the same page there. Yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's a weird thing where it's like you, you can't say too much and you can't say too little and you want to be honest. So what do you, what can you say? That is pretty much it as far as Peter Shortino goes. He's never in any trouble again. He's never threatened again as far as I know. Um, I have one little bonus thing here, um, which is a slight tangent, but I just throwing it on there. Okay. okay. Bonus fun fact. <laughs> Not long after this, somebody tried to bomb the Shortino Bakery in Tucson. Really? Yes. But they went to the wrong address (laughs) and instead blew up a Midas muffler shop. (laughs) How you confuse a bakery bakery with a Midas Midas muffler shop? Don't know. (laughs) Um, But regardless, the Peter Shortino of Tucson uh, ended up moving to San Diego in the early 1970s. So... Uh, apparently he was he was done with that business <laughs> so no totally speculation i'm sure we don't have evidence of this but but are those two bombings connected in some way because i don't think so it just happens to be a dumb dumb chance mm-hmm. that's just weird yeah i don't think so i mean the the two guys with the same name like they're close because they're cousins and brother-in-laws so they're basically brothers um, so they're close with each other. They don't, as far as I can tell, have any business dealings. Like they they both run bakeries, but their bakeries aren't the same business. They're not like different mm-hmm. chains or franchises, whatever. Um, so there's no real connection there. It's just, I just think it's a weird coincidence. And that is a weird coincidence, yeah. though. That is bordering on crossing from a coincidence to could there have been some reason behind that yeah and you if know? somebody wants to look into that i i would encourage them to do so i pulled some of this out of the peter shortino of tucson's fbi file uh the peter shortino of milwaukee does not have an fbi file peter shortino of tucson does and there's a lot in there i mean i don't i don't care about that so if somebody cares about the mafia in Arizona, I recommend you pull it. I specifically, when I request it, I, I request only the parts of it that are relevant to Milwaukee. So I see bits and pieces of the other stuff because they, they send reports back and forth from the different offices. So I see some of what he's doing in Arizona. But if somebody were to request the actual full file, actual file, yeah, like the the branch office of the FBI, there is the Phoenix office. So if you want to know what he's doing in Tucson, ask for like the Phoenix file and you'll see, you'll see whatever kind of goofy crap he's pulling down there. Because the, unlike Milwaukee, which is sort of like a, you know, the half-assed mafia family most of the time, Tucson's like real. It's a small place, but because they're that branch of the bananas, they're totally real. Like they're involved in all the stuff, so. I'm curious, and we may have talked about this before on a previous episode, but just I think this is a good point to touch back on this because we had so many of the similar names in this episode. Yes. So um, if anybody doesn't remember that's listening, that's very common within, again, Italian culture for 
people to have the same names because yeah. of the way they name their children or whatever. Correct. Yeah. So I'm curious in a, you- in Italian culture and specifically Sicilian, but Italian Italian and the mainland Italians do it too, but Sicilians really do it. There's the tradition that you name your firstborn son after the father's father, oh. firstborn daughter after the father's mother, the secondborn son after the mother's father and so on. And because of this, if I have five sons and they all have a son, all five of those, my grandchildren are going to have my name. <laughs> Which is just confusing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hopefully that made sense the way I explained it. It's it's uh, it's more confusing to say than it is when you actually see it. Like mm-hmm. it looks, makes perfect sense when you see it on paper. But yeah, a grandfather is going to have many grandchildren with his name. exact name if he has multiple sons. So, so my question with this is is that have you ever looked into it like an FBI file, read these FBI files and been like, they clearly have the wrong person? You know, because I, they're talking about somebody and you're like, that's not that person. That's this other person with that same name. Have you ever run into something like that or just in news reports and things like that that you're like, yeah, they're not talking about the right person? I'm not 100%. Um, I can't think of like a time where they were like actively investigating a guy and it turned out to be the wrong guy. Like I can't think of anything like that. Um, But it does come up where they'll look into a guy briefly and then be like, okay, this is this is we're looking at a different guy. And and they'll get thrown off because even like a standard background check they'll do is they'll go and they'll pull like the birth certificates and stuff. And I've seen it where they'll pull like two or three trying to figure out which one it is that they're mm-hmm. looking for. So, I mean, it's never been and like that, a it, huge problem, but it definitely does confuse them at first. They have to kind of sort it out before they go any further sometimes you know like um steve DeSelvo is steve DeSelvo. if he's got a cousin named steve DeSelvo, which he probably does he's not involved in anything so he never comes up but then there's other guys who have well there's one guy who we haven't even talked about yet whose name is is jerry dimaggio and jerry dimaggio was a burglar and Jerry DiMaggio's cousin, Jerry DiMaggio, was also, also a burglar. burglar. So and they're hard. like two years apart in age. So <laughs> so they'd be like, oh, Jerry DiMaggio, the burglar. And then they'd be like, oh, wait, wait you mean, <laughs> are you talking about Joe's son or Carlo's son? And you'd have to, you know. So no, it, it does. They usually figure it out. Like it doesn't go down where they're really screwing it up, but it. It has moments, definitely. But it seems like generally, let's just say that, well, like you said, Steve DeSalvo probably has a cousin. There's a good chance that that cousin Steve DeSalvo got looked into at some point in time, but they quickly realize, oh, this is just the guy with that name. And this is actually the right Steve DeSalvo. It's possible. That we're supposed to be looking at or something, you know. Like they start maybe going down looking at the wrong person, quickly realize it's the wrong person and switch. Yeah, it's possible. So, it's it's less common like when it's like higher end guys because everybody just knows no who they're talking about. about. Yeah. They're like, oh, Steve DeSalvo. And everybody like all the cops know what he looks like. They know who he is. 
it's like the lower end, the, the gamblers, the burglars, like the guys who don't really have any power at all. That's where it gets confusing. confusing. So, yeah, you'll see that. There's Well, we even talked about on the Riviera episode. I mean, there's, there's, there's two Tony Mackeys who both ran nightclubs, mm-hmm. you know, and so one of them went by Tony Patrolli. So that they wouldn't. Yeah, what, so they what, went, what patrolly means, I don't know. But <laughs> but he went by that, so they knew which one was they were talking about. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And and with uh, and with Frank Bellstrey's son Joe and his brothers, his brother Peter's son Joe, Frank's son Joe is usually just called Joe, whereas the other Peter's son Joe is usually called Baby Joe or Baby Joey. Um, so they refer to him like that, or the FBI files will always like afterwards put in parentheses "son of." Mm-hmm. Like so, they they knew that they were familiar enough with those guys that they knew they had to differentiate them every time they were mentioned. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I it guess just, it just seems like it would make their job. I guess that I guess the, lo- the longer the longer we carry this on, the more I can think of these examples coming <laughs> up. So it definitely happens, no but it's it's very rare that. It actually creates it's a problem. problem. Yeah. And it's never been like you look at a file and you're like, they got the completely wrong guy. <laughs> like they're looking Not that I can think of. Up, so. Yeah, not that I can think of. Uh, but yeah, it's. I just thought that was an interesting dynamic that could happen. That it's, was worth it. It's funny because obviously, like, the reason they name them that is it's just a tradition and it's an honoring your parents mm-hmm. thing. That's, that's, the whole reason, nothing more than that. But it does have the interesting side effect that it does throw off a law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Does. Like, that's not the reason they do it. They're not trying to be confusing, but it does happen. That, it, it has that effect because <laughs> yeah. they look it up in, in a system or whatever, and they're like, oh, shit, there's 10 of these people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Well. Is that all you got for this That's, episode? That is we, all I got. Yeah. All right. Well, then, um, as always, we do have a Patreon. Check that out. Patreon.com slash uh, Milwaukee Mafia. Or you can find it at MilwaukeeMafia.com. And Gavin, where can people reach out to you with any questions? Uh, best way is MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. It's really the only thing I've got left yep. that people yep. can contact me through. So. Uh, do that. I know people do sometimes, and uh, I appreciate that. I had somebody send some nice photos, even. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and and if you think, well, no, I'm just going to contact Gavin through Facebook, you're really contacting <laughs> Eric, and Eric is just going to respond to you and say, please send a message to Gavin at MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com. Yeah. So let's just cut that out, cut that whole element out, and just go straight to the email. Yeah, just go straight to the email. <laughs> I had an incident uh, a few months back where I lost access to Facebook. Not for anything I did. It just happened. And luckily, Eric was a co-moderator on the author <laughs> page. So when I got removed, the author page still had somebody attached to it. Yeah. But he's the only one who's the moderator now. So I don't even know what he posts on there. Uh, hopefully, it's it's good stuff. But I really haven't been posting anything on there. Okay. So, so but, but I like, do I do see messages come through periodically, and I'm like, can you just send a message to Milwaukee? Okay. Mafia? But so. just yeah, just so people know, even though it's it is my name, <laughs> and I am aware of it, it's uh, really Eric. I'm not posting anything. That's <laughs> not me doing it. So, so 
with that we'll wrap this episode up we'll be back next week with a full with a patreon episode and two weeks with a regular mafia episode thanks everybody for tuning in thank you very much thanks for tuning in to the milwaukee mafia podcast join us next time for another look back at wisconsin mafia and true crime history